Last One to the Party, the podcast where we check in with someone who's checking out a classic film, long-running TV show, or legendary performer for the very first time. Welcome to this episode of Last One to the Party. It's the third part of the trilogy. I think I've spent more time podcasting about this than I spent working on it. It's the last episode I think we're going to do on hotties. I like this episode in contrast to the other two episodes we did about hotties because it provides a completely different perspective on what it was to shoot uh, the now legendary hotties one and two back-to-back a la Peter Jackson. The bonus is on this episode we're talking with Erica Smith, who was one of the leads in hotties. And as we discussed, she's one of the three people who actually got paid a somewhat decent amount of money although not without complications. And we find out about the personal ramifications during Hotties, immediately following Hotties that she encountered. A lot of good things came out of Hotties for Erica. I don't think that she um, agonized over the shooting of Hotties as much as uh, Rick and BJ and I did when we were doing it. Erica Smith is a delight to talk to. She's really terrific. She's continued acting. Hotties did not dissuade her. She's had a very prolific career. Most recently, uh, she played Jennifer in The Deuce, and she was in The Irishman, and she was also on The Jim Gaffigan Show. So she's continued to work up until this COVID pandemic has shut all of us down. So it's a really good episode, and I think you will enjoy listening to Erica Smith talk about Hotties 1 and 2. How did you become aware of Hotties to go audition? For hotties okay so in the olden days uh before the internet <laughs> no wait the, the the internet existed but do you remember when um castings came out in backstage newspaper and it came out every thursday morning remember this oh yeah okay so um every thursday morning at 9 a.m i'd go to the newsstand and on saint mark's and i got the backstage newspaper and I saw the ad for hotties and I would always cut out with scissors anything I was right for and then put in a manila envelope my headshot and a cover letter to apply. So that's how I applied for hotties and I did it myself. And then the director, Lee Sobel, is that his name? That is. He um, he called me in for an audition and I went to his house, I think, to audition or his apartment in Brooklyn. And um, he, I, I think I did a first audition and then he called me back for a second audition. And I think by the second audition, he knew he wanted to cast me, but he was just kind of like um, doing like, you know, compatibility things with the other actresses he had selected. And I remember he showed me Susie McCoppin's photo. Yeah, he showed me Susie's photo and I was like, I do not want to be in a movie with that girl. She's too pretty. <laughs> Don't put me next to her. <laughs> but um but yeah I mean, and I remember that we were shooting hotties one and two back to back like Lord of the Rings and it was over a two-week shoot in Brooklyn and um and I was to be paid I think five hundred dollars for the two weeks total but we weren't going to be pay- oh I know you didn't get paid only the leads got paid sorry yeah 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 <laughs> But um, as it should be, as it should be. Yeah, 
I mean, plus like, so yeah, so that's how I got the part. And I, um, Susie, I just saw Susie like um, a couple weeks ago. We were just, I picked her up and we went for a little drive around town. We went and got sushi and ice cream and stuff like that. We were driving around and we were like, can you believe we met almost 20 years ago in Red Hook, Brooklyn? You were wearing a, a negligee and I was wearing like pink um, cherry cloth shorts and here we are in LA driving in Beverly Hills 20 years later, like we made it. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that's how I, I, I got involved. And so the audition process, what did he have you do when he was having you audition? I do not remember. I do not. I don't remember. Cause for Rick and BJ and I all have similar stories of him basically telling us to improvise, but then telling us what to do, which is not how you improvise. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, he paid, he had everybody else sign a contract that was, you get paid $1. And that, that gives you per him, that gives him permission to use your image from hotties, you know, in perpetuity. And I think I learned early on that you guys were getting paid something close to like real money. And I immediately thought, yes, that is as it should be. Yeah, but James, this is what happened. And you can cut this out if I'm not allowed to say that. I, I doubt Lee will even hear this. He might. Um, but apparently in our contract, there was some little clause. Like he he had a year to pay us. So we didn't get paid. That's right. And a year comes up and I email him because, you know, I'm the one that that is strict about money out of the three of us. <laughs> so and he was like, oh, no, there was this clause in the movie. I guess it was like if the movie didn't make its money back first, we didn't get the money or something like that. So yeah. by this time, me, Susie had got me and Caitlin, the other lead, um, a job at EI Cinema. We were like in their um, horror movies, like we were scream queens and they were putting us in every movie. So the staff lawyer um, – wrote Lee this very scary letter and got us all our $500 finally. <laughs> what do you, so I have to warn you, I may know more of this about this, both of these movies off the top of my head because I still have the DVDs. And before I interviewed Rick, I rewatched them just skimming through just to, so don't be alarmed because <laughs> Rick was like, how do you remember all of this? I was like, I just watched it. That's the only reason why I remember this. I've not been keeping all of this in my memory. So just describe for me what your overall experience was shooting the movie. Um, well, I mean, okay. On the one hand, it was very exciting because it was probably like my second ever paying job as an actress I'd been in like a lot of student films and things for free and plays and things like that I think I had been in one fringe festival show where I made like a stipend of a hundred dollars so theoretically I was getting it was like my first movie and it was like I was the lead and it was exciting and I hit it off with the other two leads um Susie and Caitlin so that was so fun and I loved that it was improv. At that time, I didn't have any formal improv training, but there were no lines to memorize. It was just fun. And um, I got to like try to develop my character. My character was just a very broad Italian girl from, um, from Brooklyn named Gina, which was, you know, the joke or whatever. The examples of the Lee Sobel comedic <laughs> genius. 
And I dyed my hair black because, you know, that was Marissa Tomei. I kind of like had Marissa Tomei in my mind from my cousin Vinny. That was because I'm not Italian. I don't know. And I remember I had a prop. I decided my prop like would be a wine opener for some reason. I don't know. It was like a knife or a nail file or something, but it was a wine opener. (laughs) And so I always had a wine opener in my hand. So dumb. And, um, and you know, I, I talked in this like really Brooklyn accent, like really over the top. Or if that's even, I don't even know that now that sounds Jewish. I don't know what I'm doing. I did that. And that was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and then we had, uh, I think we wore the same thing basically the whole time. So that was, I had a couple maybe costume changes for different things. And then there was just, oh, he also told us that it was kind of based on Faster, Pussycat, Kill, Kill, or these like Russ Myers movies. So I watched some of those and got an idea. But at a certain point, I kind of felt like a little bit, there was like this vibe that like, am I being exploited? <laughs> you know, because... Because I was what? I I don't want to say my age, but I was very young, very young. And there was nudity and um, and I and I kind of felt like, well, I just got this part because I'm willing to do nudity and I'm young and cute. But all these other like people around me are more like seasoned actors and comedians and talented. Like I kind of had that vibe, but at least that insecurity going, but at least Susie and Caitlin were like, you know, all in the same boat with me. So there was that. And um, I remember I did have a scene where I had to dance on stage because Gina's backstory was that she was a stripper and she was sexually harassed at work by her boss, Dicko. Um, And so I had like, you know, a flashback where I was dancing on stage and I had to dance topless and I was really nervous for that scene. And I remember, because I'd never done anything like that before. And, um, and I wanted to be a serious actress, you know, I'm like, what am I doing? There's like no real lines, you know? And I remember I was seeing this guy and I talked it over with him and he's like, well, you're never going to look this good again. You might as well just do it. Did you break up with him for saying that? No. In, in, (laughs) In fact, halfway through shooting, I come to, I think it was the day I did that scene. And I, I, we finished for the day and I went to his house and he met me at the door with a bag of my stuff. And he's like, I think we should take a break. I think you need to like focus on finishing the movie. And he sent me home with my stuff. And so I was like, yeah, I got broken up with in the middle of, of shooting that. And then after the movie, like, I was like, okay, well, the week is up. Like, are we back on? Like, cause he said we were going to take a break for a week. <laughs> And he's like, no, I was breaking up with you. I'm like, oh, okay. When you talk about that raising the question of being exploited, the common thread for Rick, BJ, and myself was the nature of the shoot was, for us, disconcerting at best and upsetting at worst. Because <laughs> there was no consideration given to certainly you three. I think you three were strong enough personalities, certainly together, that I think you kind of closed ranks but for some of the other women who came in for like a day here two days there you know there was no sense of propriety around when they were doing their topless scenes and as i've mentioned in the previous two i had my lab coat so 
I was constantly taking off my lab coat as soon as he said cut. And I was saying, would anybody like to put this on? Does who, you know, and there was one scene where it was just me and one other woman. And I said, here, why don't you put this on? And when it was more like, who, does anybody want this? You know, just trying to help as much as I could, because I think it was probably an all male, you know, crew. And so you guys are standing around and they're just like, cut. And maybe you got used to, I don't know. You know, I don't presume to know any of how, how it feels on the other side of it. And uh, maybe you just got a nerd to it, but I was very aware of like, he's just saying cut. Nobody's offering them any sort of privacy at this point. And these dudes are all just walking around and I just, it just didn't feel super great. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I, I remember that. Cause th- there was a part of me that was like, uh, why do I have to do this? Like the, like the guys didn't have to take off their clothes. They just, got, <laughs> they just got to be funny, you know? And then I kind of felt resentful. Like, why is like, remember Phil? Uh, yeah. I think Phil was like writing it too. And I'm, I think Phil was like the male version of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the movie. Like literally I uh, was dressing up like me and I just felt like I would feel jealous sometimes. Like, you know, I wanted to get my time to try to be funny and do other things than just, you know, be the, be naked or whatever but we weren't naked the whole time but no 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 but but yeah there was the times when there was you know me being the character of the doc i was constantly surrounded by these topless you know as they were called in the movie lesbian sex drones so it just became day in and day you know and and you know i'd come back and i'd tell my friends about this shoot that i was doing and they'd be like that must be awesome i was like no it really is not well yeah (laughs) it is like yeah the being around naked women should be great but under these circumstances it's like you know i'm the only one with any sort of moral compass it feels like well actually like there was i was worried about that but everybody on set was very um respectful so I, i mean Lee, I mean, Lee wasn't, nobody was like flirting and being weird. Nobody really right. did that. Um, I think everybody felt awkward and slash respectful. So <laughs> it, it wasn't, you know, I didn't have to worry about that. It was just, it was just like more about what's, go, what's getting on camera here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, so you saw it like, you saw it recently. Does yeah? Is it my, any good? Or? No, no, no. It's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. Um, Do I look yeah, like my, so dumb and ridiculous? No, you guys all look great. Listen, you're never going to look that good again, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> None of us. <laughs> I don't even look that good now. The first thing you know, there's a at the end of Hotties Two on the DVD. There's extras, which include some of our audition tapes. And my terrible audition is there for the world to see. And as I'm watching it and kind of laughing at myself and with myself, my my wife walks by and she goes, look how young you are. (laughs) And I was like, like, yeah, it was 15 years ago. Yeah, thanks, thanks, honey. Oh, I do. I do remember that I did dye my hair black in that terrible boyfriend's bathroom and he had like an all white bathroom. And so the hair dye got everywhere. So there's that. So you you got your your preemptive comeuppance for him. Yeah, there um, you go. Yeah, so uh yeah, I just remember the shoot being really frustrating also because Lee would would tell us what he wanted us to say instead of letting us improvise. And I think I started just doing such a flurry of things that he didn't have a chance to tell me what to do anymore. 
Um, and mm-hmm. so that kind of saved me. But Rick was was getting was talking about how frustrated it was to have Lee constantly tell him that dude did. And he was like, man. And he said, there's a little bit of a rebellion at a certain point from everybody just telling Lee to basically shut up. Um, uh, yeah. I remember that because like Lee's ideas were always pretty basic and like um, cliche. So if, if he just let you guys just go off and do your thing, it would have made it better. You know, I do remember he was always trying to touch on those very cliche points, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's naming a character Dicko. I know. know? So that's where his head is at. And, and, uh, what was I going to say? I was just, you, you just sparked something and I just left my head. Um, do you, so both Rick and BJ remembered filming a scene in a bar, which may have been your stripper dance scene Mm -hmm. was that with you guys you three hotties or what do you know of if that was maybe some other women who were in the movie i think there were a couple scenes in that bar i my scene in the bar i was dancing on stage and then i had a scene with dicko where he said i had to give him a blowjob and then i I like ducked out of frame and then i came back up i think i think and then he fired me anyway. And then I got mad. And then I tried to burn the place down with like a Bic lighter. <laughs> and, and then the cops came and arrested me out back. Right. Okay. So that was that scene. But I do remember there was another scene in a bar with the sex, lesbian sex drones, I think. Right. So Rick remembers, I think Rick and BJ both remember shooting that scene, which they didn't have, they had permission to shoot in there, but they didn't clear out the bar. So there were locals who were in the bar at 10.30 in the morning already drinking who then were gifted with this film shoot featuring topless women oh as an God. added bonus, which was another one. Rick Rick was really – BJ, too, was like he and his friend were playing the two hillbillies, and uh, during the filming, they both were looking at each other like, we've got to get out of this now. What? How do we get out of this? And then before they could really make a plan for escape, they were like, okay, you guys, it's time to shoot your scene. Um, and Rick was really like, that shouldn't have been handled that way. There should have been nobody in there except the women and the film and the bare bones film crew, on and on and on. So I didn't know if you had remembered that particular experience. I, I do remember being at that bar at 1030 and the regulars being there. I do remember that. And so this was in, I think, 2003, right? Somewhere in the 2003 or 2005, I think, somewhere in there. So um, so just to put this in perspective, the, the Me Too movement started in 2017, okay? So that's like, <laughs> what, is it like 13 or 12 or 13 years later. Yeah. And now... Like when I did the deuce, there's something called an intimacy coordinator. So if you have any sort of an intimate scene or nudity, they have a whole team of people that are choreographers and costume designers and everything that are there for your moral support and to make sure that you're not exploited, that you feel comfortable as a performer. And it it just blows my mind, like all the shit that went down just 12 years before on that set. And I wasn't even aware. I was just kind of like, I didn't think about it being inappropriate. I was so young. I was like, well, I just, I guess this is just what we do. You know? Yeah, I I think there was a part of that for all of us that was, well, this could become something. This movie might become some weird underground cult hit. I can't just walk off and ruin my reputation before it even gets started. 
And none of us really had the wider scope, the wider vision to know, no, you can, you can bounce on this one and it's tough. <laughs> Too bad for Lee Sobel. <laughs> you know, protect yourself in a way. But, you know, even so, like, I, I'm still friends with Susie 20 years later. I'm still yes. friendly with Rick 20 years later. And because of my connection with Susie, I got a job at EI and did several horror movies, got a fan base that led to, like, more movies and more work. And that was, like, the the beginning of my career. Like, it was a good five years when I was shooting all of those films. It was a great experience. And I got all of that from meeting Susie on Hotties. So well, that's, I mean, if ever there is a silver lining <laughs> to the thing that is hotties one and two, um, that's it. That's, that's the kind of great thing. You know, that's the, I think the best you can expect from, from any project really is the friendships that you make and the things that that leads to and so on and so forth. I'm glad to hear you guys are all still friends. And Rick, of course, is like, it's, I feel like it's kind of impossible to not maintain a friendship with rick younger i mean he's such a great guy and it's so cool to see him like to watch him over the years and we've we've done other projects together too i did a a web series that was about impersonators and the day we were supposed to shoot a scene with like a james brown impersonator he bailed and so we called rick and rick came and killed it oh my god he did such a good job and he came and he did a few days on the web series and um so yeah i mean i've seen him around and and over the years and he's just like he's just one of those people that's like so talented never gives up and you're just like wow i can't believe we met on hotties yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, there was a weird conglomeration of of talented really nice great people on that (laughs) <laughs> terrible idea of a movie i know um, it's such a you know the, as i've said one of the worst things about uh, there's so many bad things about that movie but when you if you had the dvds and watched it the thing that stands out the most is i don't know how they mic'd it i think they had a microphone outside of every building and that was it because you can't really understand what anybody is saying and there's <laughs> one scene the scene where I met Rick, we shot in Red Hook outside of some warehouse, and I have to come out. I guess this mob is trying to take you three away to jail or something, and I come out and I kind of shut the mob down, and I'm just vamping, just completely improvising and thinking of all the crazy things, and I do something at some point that made Rick laugh like really caught him by surprise and made him laugh and i saw him duck down behind somebody who was slightly in front of him and i thought you know i talked i had talked to him a tiny bit before we started shooting and i was so pleased because like this guy's funny and i just made him laugh that just feeds my soul you know making somebody funny laugh is like my favorite thing and so i'm watching the dvds and he left that in he didn't know oh, he didn't cut away he <laughs> left rick breaking in the movie so that's the example of like the level of editing and sound production and all of that that's in hotties as well as just i don't know what the story is supposed to be but it's impossible w- to, to get through i was just i was just gonna bring that up does your audience know what the storyline of hotties is you know i, do. I don't <laughs> you don't or you do i do know you do yeah. please i have a vague idea that I may be remembering hotties two more. Let me take a stab at it and then you tell me what it is. So okay. the the doc 
is somehow responsible for abusing you three while you're in prison and you want to get revenge on him, which you do at the end of Hotties. And then Hotties 2, Doc has broken out and he creates a lesbian sex drone troika to combat you three. But I'm not sure how that ended. Oh, I get shot. I get shot by by Phil because I stole his egg salad sandwich. Okay, so as you should, you're remembering the storyline. My parts. From your character's <laughs> point of view, which is not which is not what Chekhov would tell you to do. Chekhov, Correct. Chekhov would tell you to know where you fit into the hole, but yeah, many people would would tell you. Many people. Now I feel like Trump. Um, <laughs> So, okay. So I, yeah, you're reminding me of that. Okay. Now. Okay. So how I remember it is it's these three women meet in jail and they're, I think the doc is there doing experiments on them or trying to like one flew over the cuckoo's nest to them, like lobotomize them or something, because these are feisty women who just have like got in trouble in their life and got thrown in jail, right? Because society is misogynistic. So they break out of jail and um, decide to seek revenge on every man who has ever wronged them. So in my character's case, it was first Dicko. Um, in Caitlin's character, it was named Laquifa. <laughs> And I forget who she had to get revenge on. And then, you know, Susie was, her character was Muffy and she had to get revenge on something. So on somebody. So there's some guy at an auto body shop, which I remember this actor, he was so cute. He was like, I was like, he's the next James Dean. (laughs) He worked at the auto body shop. I can't remember. He did something terrible. But um, so like we had to go on this kind of adventure road trip trying to track down these guys. And the whole time I think you, the doc, are after us trying to get us back into the jail or mental hospital or whatever and trap us and lobotomize us again. And then at a certain point, yeah, in Hotties 2, you create those sex drones to to try to track us down. And then three, three of the guys that we were trying to get revenge on dress up like us and are trying to get us into trouble. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's when Rick had to go in dress in drag and Phil also dressed in drag. Yeah. Rick yeah, became all, Muffy. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Your you, yeah, well, your recollection of it is much more on point. And I'm remembering those parts of it now. I don't I still don't know how we got to the doc getting shot at the end, but I did. And as I've as I've mentioned it was over some weird thing that was introduced at towards the end of Hotties 2 that the doc had some sort of overtly Pavlovian response to egg salad. And so, so it's so like borscht belt humor. Oh my God. If it's like borscht, I don't even know. It's like borscht belt loop humor. I don't even know if there's a belt there. Um, and, and, <laughs> we should point out that this is a non-union movie. Oh, so, yes. so the union has all like regulations, like you can only shoot for this many hours, and you have to break for, for, uh, for a meal, or there needs to be a certain turnaround by the time you're done shooting at the end of the day before you come back in the morning. So, 
the next day. So there were none of these regulations. So we were out there for hours and hours and hours shooting. And like, and then imagine being a girl and your character's supposed to be hot, right? So you've got to stay, you've got to stay sexy and hot, like for 17 hours. Yeah. And by, <laughs> And by hour nine, you're just fed up and you're just like, I just want to go home and put on sweatpants and watch TV. You know, yeah, it was exhausting. Yeah, by that last day, I just was like, I've got to get on this path train to Newark and get on that van one more time. You know, it's just exhausting. Um, And then I went to, I snuck into the premiere, which was at that Two Boots Theater in the East Village. Oh, wait. Also, we need to point out that this is a a comedy movie. It's not a porno. Putatively, it's a comedy movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the ideas that Lee had for what made this thing funny were not at all funny. Um, hopefully, you know, amongst all of us, we did what we could to make some parts of it funny, at least. Um, yeah, so I think, did you all guys go to the to that premiere at the Two Boots Theater? Yes, I did because I have pictures from it. Nice. Yeah, I did go. Nice. So it was like eight twenty or whatever it was, and so I went and I stood in the back until I saw a scene with myself, one or two scenes with myself, so that I could have the experience of having seen myself on a movie theater screen for the first time. And then I snuck back out and <laughs> said, "Oh boy, I didn't. No, I couldn't. I couldn't." It was so embarrassing to see myself doing that performance. I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm so glad that your wife didn't come because you guys might not be married. <laughs> <laughs> You've talked a little bit about what came out of Hotties, which I think is great. You know, certainly three strong friendships is the best thing. And you've gone on to have this really you know fulfilling career it sounds like and and again checking your page on imdb like you're never not working it looks like well if it it looks like that (laughs) i I mean now none of us are working (laughs) yeah i um i did a lot of uh but um so one day while we were shooting Susie goes um i can't believe i'm doing this shit for $500 for two weeks. I'm used to making $500 a day. And me and Caitlin go, doing what? <laughs> like, where do you make $500 a day? And she's like, well, I work for this, this production company. Uh, it's called EI Cinema. And we're like, we want to do that. So she got us auditions there. And it was in Butler, New Jersey, in this big warehouse. And it was kind of like this grindhouse where they turned out we would do shoots. Some of them would be as long as two weeks, but most of them were just like one week shoots um, of these non-union horror movies, horror comedies. And um, so I did a whole bunch of those and those kind of led to um, a lot of indie films and meeting people through that and created this great network. And I got to go to like conventions and like those, um, horror movie like comic-con conventions and meet fans and things like that so that was like the whole first part of my career was like so much fun um I had got so much experience and um those kind of movies there's a lot of freedom to do whatever you want because they're just so bad (laughs) 
you can do whatever you want. And, um, and yeah, so, and then like once I joined, I eventually I decided I wanted to segue into do more mainstream stuff and I joined the, the union and, uh, and then it became a little harder to get work once you're, you know, have more competition with more talented people. <laughs> so, uh, but I still was able to find work and film and television and stuff like that. So, yeah. Do you have any better experiences, notable stories from things like the deuce or the Irishman or things like that to offset the experience of shooting hotties? <laughs> I have, yeah. I mean, I have a ton of great experiences. I don't know where to start. Well, I mean the deuce. So, um, I remember a friend of mine called me up and this is when the deuce was in its first season. And she's like, I'm watching this show on HBO called the deuce. You need to watch it. You need to be on it. It's just your vibe. And so I watched the, the first season. I was like, you're right. I'd want to be on this show. So I made it my mission. I shot like a little audition, just unsolicited audition. I sent it into casting. I had my manager sent it in. And I just scoured the breakdowns every day trying to get on that show. And sure enough, finally, I got a role as a featured extra for like a, a actress that's in the movies that they are shooting in the show. And um, they liked me so much. They gave me a name. They brought me back like three times for um, twice more in the second season and then once in the third season. And so that was really positive. And at that time, like I was saying, um, talking about intimacy coordinators. So this would have been like, you know, just over 10 years later. And the industry had changed so much because of Me Too that everybody was treating me like a superstar. Like I had such a small role, but they wanted to make sure that I was comfortable. And um, like, yeah, so we like choreographed any sort of intimate scene that we had to do because, you know, for those of you that don't know, that show is about the porn industry in New York City in the 70s and 80s. And so some of the scenes were very risque and I, shooting them was like going to like summer camp. That's how innocent it was actually when we were shooting it. Cause the director was like, the director was more nervous than I was. And she was like, okay, everybody's going to pretend like they're eating the best piece of cake that you've ever had. So we were all, <laughs> we were all just like, mm, oh, yes. Oh, so good. And that was, became our like sex noises and stuff. It was very, and in fact, um, then they wound up, HBO wound up calling me to do kind of similar scenes of a similar nature for this show called The Undoing. And I worked with the same team of intimacy coordinators. And now that's a thing on, um, in SAG where if there's any kind of a love scene or nudity, they've got to have an intimacy coordinator there to make sure that there's no, you know, that everybody's comfortable, there's no harassment, everybody's safe and everything. That that was a positive experience. That's but great. So I have not yet seen The Irishman. Mm-hmm. Apologies. But who, who did you have your scenes with? Was it any of the major septuagenarian leads? <laughs> yeah, so again, uh, it was a small role. My, my friend played uh, Carrie Buffalino, what's her name? She played Pesci's wife. Uh, her name is Catherine Narducci. So she got me a role in the movie, and I was in like a scene at the um, uh, it's like a Jimmy Hoffa is having a rally. So, 
Al Pacino is there giving a speech and um, Robert De Niro is there giving a speech and uh, Harvey Keitel was in the scene and Pesci and Bobby Cannavale. Like everybody was there that day. Uh, yeah. And That's I got, great. I got to see um, Pacino was my favorite. Oh my God. He was amazing. He was like, every take was different. And talk about improv, he would like ramp up to his actual dialogue by doing a lengthy improvisation. <laughs> and he would sing songs from like the 20s. Like he was singing like labor union songs. What was he singing? Oh my gosh. Um, he did such a deep dive. He learned that there were labor union songs from the 20s that he then learned. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was singing. I, I, it was, it, I can't think of the song right now. Um, but it was kind of like a chant song, but, and at one point he goes, well, if I knew I had to, had to do a vaudeville act, I would have prepared because, <laughs> <laughs> so he was doing this big thing and then, um, and then he'd ramp into his dialogue and, and he would paraphrase because he never stuck to the same lines ever. And every take was different. He was so charismatic, so full of energy, having so much fun. And so he did all the scenes and then it came time for De Niro to shoot his, his speech. And he seemed like so understated. And at first I'm like, is he okay? Like, does he have indigestion or something? And I didn't realize that like, you know, that was his character, you know, that he felt in that scene. I don't want to give it away, but his character was very pensive. So that was part of what he was doing. They were just so different. It was interesting to see that. And when De Niro was doing his close-ups and his speech, um, Pacino's stand-in was standing in for Pacino, and he had to do a little bit of Pacino's dialogue. So this stand-in nailed it. And <laughs> after, like, you know, when we broke... I went up to him and I'm like, is that um, intimidating? Like having to follow Pacino and do Pacino's shtick and make it your own. I mean, you were amazing. And he's like, and oh. do it for Robert De Niro. I know. And he said, oh no, I'm used to it. And he's like, I've been Pacino standing for 20 years. And he was telling me how like unpredictable Pacino is. And he's just so used to it. And so that was interesting. <laughs> Excuse me. Two things that I've done come to mind. One was I did a small, small part in another movie called um, The Music Never Stopped, and J.K. Simmons is the lead. And I got to play uh, a vendor at a Grateful Dead show who kind of walks up to J.K. Simmons and tries to get him to buy a T-shirt. And his son laughs at him like, oh, the idea of you and a Grateful Dead T-shirt cut to him walking into the venue in not only the T-shirt, but a Grateful Dead hat, you know, tie-dye, blah, blah, blah. And the two things that I remember about that scene, one was I was the setup to a punchline, my character, my scene. So I knew I couldn't be cut out because I'd been in other things where they just cut you out. And you're just yeah. like, damn it. So my claim to fame is that I got to act in a scene with Oscar winner J.K. Simmons before he was an Oscar winner. Amazing. <laughs> and um, I did a a real small part on a show called Kidnapped, which didn't even make it through the whole first season. It was on NBC. And the part I auditioned for was a two-page, two-and-a-half-page scene with me and Delroy Lindo, and I booked it. And oh. as I was shooting a, 
T-Mobile commercial in Atlanta or something. My I manager- saw I saw that commercial. <laughs> I did. I saw it, and I was like, I was like, every everyone from Hotties has made it. Like Rick Rick made it. That girl Andrea. Uh, I can't remember her last name, but she made it. <laughs> She, yeah. was on, she was on a commercial and I saw your commercial and I was like, ah, they made it. I knew they would make it. They're we so did good. It. And while <laughs> I was down there shooting that commercial, my manager called me and said, so good news and bad news. Like you've booked the part, but they've rewritten it. So you're now not in that scene, you, but you're in four different scenes, but you only now have two lines. So it's like, uh, where, where am I in my career? Let's do it. Of course we'll do it. And this, I play an FBI agent, and so I have to, you know, signal the signal the the good guys that a, the phone tap has been started. You know, you give them that signal, and then the bad guys cut the phone call off abruptly, and the guy in charge says, "What happened?" And I have to say, they hung up. So that was my big line. Um, I also was in the wrestler, and I had there was the scene that we shot in the bar where Mickey Rourke comes into. Uh, give Marissa Tomei a card and she like a birthday card or Valentine's or something. And um, so she's like, I can't accept this because now by this time is he has a crush on her. His character has a crush on her and she realizes that this is happening and she doesn't, you know, she, she doesn't want a relationship with him. So, so he's supposed to feel very rejected. So Mickey Rourke would go into these crazy improvisations of him reacting to this rejection and just make all this shit up. And it was different every time. And like, at one point it was like, I could have been on a, a professional baseball player. And like, he was talking about like being, <laughs> you know, like could have been this and that. And it was so fun to watch. And the director, he kept like, he was like running the show. Like the Darren Aronofsky, the director was just like letting him go. He's like, do your thing, Mickey. <laughs> That's amazing. That was really fun to see too. That's great. One final question is, having gone through the experience of hotties, if someone who was of a comparable age that you were then told you that they were about to do a movie that sounded very much like hotties, what advice would you have looking back? Oh my God. That's a tough question because the, like the... Um, I guess like the mom, I'm not a mom, but, <laughs> but like the, the big sister in me would be like, no, don't do that. Because like, you know, just like try to have a mainstream career, like go for, there, there's a certain path that you can kind of take that would set you up for more of a mainstream career that's more lucrative and everything. But then on the other hand, um, who's to say that's the best path? I mean, I've, had I, I haven't necessarily like achieved what I wanted to achieve so far in my career, but it's certainly been an interesting path, and um, and I've gotten to do so many different kinds of things, and so I don't regret it. But it it wasn't what any parent would want their kids to. Do. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly, there have been times where I've been on sets and I and I've seen other people acting and like who have a main role, and I'm like man, I could do that. I could do that better. Why don't I get a chance to do that? You know? Um, so there's that, but I would just be like, you know, make sure that you're safe, make sure that you don't, 
get like emotionally scarred <laughs> from anything that's happening. I don't feel like I was. Um, so I, I would probably would just say go for it, I guess. And not if it was my daughter. <laughs> but And also, I, I think, you know, as you point out, it's 2020 now and a lot has happened. So I don't think even the people involved with a movie like that would put up with the laxity that was on hotties. It just is not part of the the zeitgeist anymore to allow that. Um, I think I watched hotties with a boyfriend at one point, like years later. And I don't remember when, but I think I put it on for a minute and it was mortifying. And when it ended, he walked up to you with a bag of your stuff and said, I think we should take a break. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> You can follow Erica online on Instagram or Twitter at the Erica Smith. You can follow me on Instagram at James underscore Eason underscore music. The show is produced and edited by me, James Eason, and the theme music is composed by me, James Eason. 